Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! It's a special edition of Fizz 5 here on Orange Fizz, and I say special because the school year is almost starting, and you know what that means, Carter? We got football on the horizon. We finally got sports to talk about, and it's not just these hypotheticals that we have to throw out there and try to discuss alongside Carter Bainbridge. I'm Cameron Ezer. We're your crew this week for Fizz 5, discussing the hottest five topics in the Syracuse sports stratosphere. Carter, are you just as excited as I am? Because you can tell I'm, I'm amped. I'm excited. Syracuse football's back. They didn't make a bowl last year, but they have their eyes set on one this year. Um, we're back in Syracuse, and it is hot right now. That's a that's a universal experience for anybody hanging out in town right now, especially without air conditioning. But the weather's hot and so is the news. So I'm excited to finally have some real substance to what we're talking about here and have some concrete stuff to to sink our teeth into. Carter, I know you and I called baseball this summer. And one thing that we can both say is it was just as hot. And then ironically enough, I went home back in California and it was just as hot and humid. I thought I'd get away from it coming to Syracuse. You know, the falls are nice. And of course, you don't want to get to the dreaded winters. But I thought I'd get away from it. And it's still just as humid. It's it's kind of getting to me at this point. Yeah, no doubt about it. I was down in the south, too. So I feel your pain. <laughs> so it might be getting hot. But we're really, really excited that the sports and the sports news is ramping up and why waste any more time let's get into topic number one number one so our first topic of the day actually has nothing to do with syracuse football you can call me and carter crazy and you have every right to do so because at times i mean we probably are at certain times but with football a week away we're gonna put it over to topic two through five and talk a little bit about basketball because big news just dropped on this friday so not 100% sure when we're going to post this. It might be the day after. So clearing it up for everyone. Reed Ducharme, a four-star shooting guard who had Penn State, Xavier, and Syracuse as his final three, a player who's top 100 according to 24-7 sports in the class of 2023, and a player Syracuse could have desperately used as their first commit in the class of 2023, well, get this, he didn't commit to Syracuse. And maybe that's just the theme over the past couple of years. Reed Ducharme committing to Sean Miller, the new head coach at Xavier. He'll be a musketeer. And for a Xavier team that has already picked up a point guard in the recruiting class in 2023, Syracuse, it kind of looks like they're falling to the cellar of who they're able to recruit. With this news in mind, Carter, I mean, what's your biggest takeaways and I don't know. How, how are you viewing Syracuse basketball and their recruiting moving forward? My big takeaway from this commitment is that Syracuse, I'm not going to sound the alarm bell for their entire recruiting infrastructure as of right now, but even for a class of 23 that we knew was going to be a little smaller, was going to be maybe a little bit less impressive than the class of 22 that had Justin Taylor and, Judah Mintz and all those guys we've, we've talked so much about over the past year or so, even for a class with lowered expectations, it's still going to fall flat and fall beneath even what we expected because 
at this point, it's a very realistic possibility that Syracuse gets no commits out of their recruiting trail in this class, which is pretty unusual. Although, you know, with the way the transfer portal is set up right now, it's not the end of the world because SU could still get a couple of guys in through the portal. Although we've talked about that earlier in the year. How many guys do they want to take? How many of them do they want to give minutes to over the freshmen they have coming in? You know, that's that's going to be a difficult decision for Jim Beheim and his staff to think about because they, they want to keep these guys happy after a couple straight years of bringing in Kadari Richmond, bringing in Woody Newton, and having them jump ship after one year and talk about how they kind of just lost trust in the program. You would hate to see that happen with like Taylor or Mintz or Kadir Copeland or whoever else it is in that class because they're all thinking that they're going to get playing time. If they don't have it right away, then they're set on earning it somehow. And you figure that a big, dense class of 23 was just going to mess that up. So for SU, being in the final three for a guy like Ducharme, a six foot six four star forward, is pretty good. Of course, you'd like to seal the deal there, and you'd like to seal the deal with J.P. Estrella as well, whose commitment is coming up uh, on the 2nd of September, according to 24-7 Sports. But the predictions don't look good for SU on that either. We had an article about that put on our website, orangefizz.net, pretty recently. So in a very roundabout way, with all that information that I just laid out on the table in mind, I think that it's a bad sign for Syracuse to come away with no commits because they've had some one-commit classes in the past. You know, Benny Williams was the most recent one, the class of 21. He was the only hard letter of intent commit guy. And then you have to go back to 2014. The last time they did that, it was Chris McCullough, who was a five-star, you know, eventual NBA player as well, just kind of a different caliber, as was the program back then, I suppose. But right now, not a great feeling to have Syracuse still kind of clamoring for even one new player to come in in this class because you don't want him to just whiff. Now, that would be the ultimate, not only bad look, but bad sign for the program. You know, you, you need to keep having guys come on, even if they leave or even if they don't play. You need depth. You need guys who are encouraging others to come to the program. And right now, there's nobody like that in the class of 23, and that's a problem. Carter, with all that being said, and I'm just curious before I lay out my my point of view and my perspective, would you be upset if they blanked in the class of 23, but they were able to able to develop these six freshmen? Because in my opinion, I don't see it as a bad thing. It's a big conditional if, because you know the, the six freshmen are all different positions. They're all different types of players. It's going to be hard for them to progress them equally, because even if you started at five out of the six, you still have one guy on the bench. You know, well, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true with the positions they play, but anyways, you know, I, th- I think you could try to five man lineup out there with the freshmen and still have one odd man out. So the problem with that class is you've got a lot of talented guys. And I think no matter what they do in this class right now, the one of 23, they're going to have to get creative with how they develop the class of 22. I, I-, I think, I would be worried if they had a, a larger class this year that was sort of quantity over quality. But at the same time, I would like to see even one or two names pop up there that, you know, maybe know that they're going to sit a year or play less in year one and can deal with that. I know that's a, a tough ask in the age of quick triggered decommitments and transfers. But, you know, if you're going to keep building a program and you're going to keep yourself in tournament conversation, you've got to make sure that you have depth. Because that was a big problem for SU last year. And depth isn't just how many guys you have on a team in one particular season. 
It's how you develop them over the course of several years. You know, guys who, you know, maybe aren't starters, but are your sixth, seventh men. So, you know, Syracuse might not be hurting right now, even if they blank in this class, but they very well could be a couple of years down the line, especially if all the guys in the class of 22 don't stick around. How I view it is Syracuse is already blanking. They're probably going to lose out on J.P. Estrella, who, correct me if I'm wrong, is a four-star as well. They just lost out on Reed Ducharme, and I watched one of his interviews, courtesy of 24-7 Sports, I'm pretty sure, or is on a separate site. And he said that he chose Xavier over Syracuse and Penn State because he loves Sean Miller, obviously, that new vibe, that new culture that Miller is bringing in now his 18th year of coaching, a guy that was known for his prowess at the helm of Arizona and took them to a lot of successful points that they probably wouldn't have been at on the West Coast if it wasn't for him. And that Sean Miller just trusts him. And that concerns me that Ducharme is saying that about Sean Miller and Xavier and not saying that about Syracuse. And I'm not saying that Reed Ducharme doesn't trust the guys at Syracuse and doesn't trust that the coaching staff will put him first. But I don't think that they would have put Ducharme first. Justin Taylor, Judah Mintz, Kadir Copeland, we don't know if they'll be put first because where Bayheim's allegiance lies is with Joe Girard and Jesse Edwards and maybe Samir Torrance. And after that, I'm not completely sure. So how I view it is I wouldn't mind if Syracuse completely blanked in the 23 class, because I think the best they're going to get is someone outside the top 100 of Kadir Copeland's caliber, which I don't mind at all. But I'd just like to see, knowing that Syracuse is a big-time program, many would consider them a blue blood because of their past success, how do you bookmark your future? In five, six, seven, ten years, can Syracuse land the commits that it once did with Jim Beheim at the helm? I'm not saying that Beheim will be here in six, seven, or eight years, and maybe Syracuse needs a change, just like Xavier did with Sean Miller, to bring in a couple four- or five-star guys. I just don't think that this, uh, how Syracuse is conducting themselves in, in the recruiting way is ultimately going to help them toward their future goals. And of course, their future goals is making a Sweet 16, an Elite Eight, a Final Four, winning another national championship. And I'm sick and tired of Syracuse fans and the Syracuse program saying time and time again, well, didn't Syracuse make the Final Four? was it five years ago or six years ago? Well, didn't Syracuse make the Sweet 16 twice or three times in the last six years? Xavier has made the Sweet 16 or farther six times since 2008. A lot of programs do it. I'm not saying that it's not impressive, but Syracuse has to use a different technique and be more tactical with their ability to recruit rather than just saying, well, we've had some success because the regular season success hasn't been there. So I don't think this is a red flag, but I think it is a red flag moving forward. Okay, enough about basketball, Carter. Let's talk about football. I mean, it's in a week. Why waste any time? Let's head to topic number two. Number two. Here we go. Syracuse and Louisville primetime game on a Saturday, September 3rd, 8 p.m. A late one, but I know everyone's going to stay up for it for a plethora of reasons. Maybe it's Sean Tucker. Or maybe it's to see if Syracuse can revitalize one of the big three sports outside of these, you know, women's hockey and women's lacrosse that have been the mainstays over the past couple of years. I'm curious to see how Syracuse football does 
But Carter, knowing that it is game week, what can we expect out of Syracuse? There's been there's been reports after reports after reports of the prowess of certain players during training camp or what they like to call their spring and summer ball and ultimately heading up to the season. But I mean, what should we expect out of Syracuse against Louisville? Well, I think what you can expect out of Syracuse is, first of all, a lot of familiar faces. You know, we look at the number of returning starters around the ACC, and if I'm not mistaken, the number for Syracuse that they bring back is 17. Let me double-check that very quickly, but just around the offense and defense, you know they're bringing back a lot of talent. So, you know, Garrett Schrader, Sean Tucker on the offensive end, you're bringing back your whole linebacking core. You've got your two corners coming back. So, you know, this is this is a team, and yes, the number is 17. Syracuse actually leads the ACC in returning starters. That was the, the, the bookend of that thought that I had progressing through my mind. So you're not only going to see a lot of new players, but you're going to see an offense functioning a little bit differently. So... I don't know how well they're going to do it, but I think you can surely expect Syracuse to throw the football more opening week because the two-word expression, two-word name for Robert and I's offense that you hear thrown around a lot lately, Robert and I, the new offensive coordinator from Virginia, is the air raid. So, you know, in my mind, that conjures up images of, you know, Mike Leach and the SEC programs and, you know, quarterbacks putting up a lot of big numbers. But at the very least you're probably going to see more utility, more usage out of the passing game. And for me, that's that's a very important thing because there's no bigger X factor for the success of Syracuse football in 2022 than the passing game. You know, there's arguments to be made about how well the defensive line plays with the new starters. But to me, the one thing that was holding Syracuse back last year was the one-dimensional offense as good as Sean Tucker was, and we're going to have more on him later, and you're going to see plenty of him week one, too. I know that for sure. Syracuse is making a bowl this year unless they get just a little bit more out of the passing game. But I have some confidence in my heart that Garrett Schrader can do that, and he's going to be going up against a, a Louisville defense that doesn't bring back as many starters as Syracuse. Far from it. But they've got some players on that defensive end. Yasir Abdullah, the outside linebacker, he's a senior. He's a good player. Um, Yaya Diaby on the defensive line, defensive end. You know, these are players who Syracuse fans probably might even remember from the games that that they've played against Louisville over the last couple years. So this is a Cardinals team that went six and seven last year, just blew the doors off of Syracuse, as they always do for whatever reason. But what you're going to see week one is a lot of familiar faces from that late season matchup we saw last year. And I'll give you this. This was a part of this question that we talked about before we uh, started this Fizz Five that, uh, you know, Syracuse can beat Louisville if, and it was the dot, dot, dot. So here's your second part of this. Syracuse beats Louisville if Garrett Schrader throws for at least 250 yards. Because what that means, if he does that, is that the offense is working well, the receiving room is finally on the same page, and it means they're disrupting Louisville's defense because we, we saw an article like this published on, on the Fizz a little bit earlier. John Eads did some All-22 film dissection, one of our writers, and he found that Louisville 
had great success last year by just stacking eight, nine guys in the box. So if Syracuse is throwing the football, it means that they're clearing out the box. Sean Tucker can run the ball and they're mixing up the offense well. So for me, that's that's the big key. Get Schrader off and running week one and you can take care of these Cardinals who have some guys on defense coming back from what was not that strong a unit. Bottom half of the ACC in points allowed. So even though the Cardinals look pretty good against the Orange, most of the games they play, I think if that happens, you know, I'll, I'll show you an SU team that goes into week two, one and oh. Wow. I, I like that. And I think it's the unconventional approach because many would say Syracuse beats Louisville if Sean Tucker is Sean Tucker. And I like that you're not you're not taking the easy approach. I love that. And another thing to mention with the offense is the tight ends. I mean, will Garrett Schrader utilize the tight ends more or will it be air raid with Garrett Schrader sprinkling in some of his uh, uh, some of his run, running ability as well. Will C.J. Hayes get involved? Will a player like Trevor Pena be a, a mainstay as Sean Riley was just a couple of years ago, one of those smaller wideouts that can work and maximize uh, his potential out of the slot? So I, I like that. Now I'm going to focus on the defensive side. Syracuse beats Louisville if the defense gives up fewer than 100 yards on the ground. You might say 100 yards total, but let's be honest. It's a Syracuse defense that I thought played okay last year, but at times stumbled. Garrett Williams had a great season, but it wasn't as great as we expected. Deuce Chestnut was unbelievable. Third team all ACC as a freshman. Michael Jones probably would have gotten drafted, but he stays another year to raise his draft stock. The defensive line, I mean, a bunch of names that – uh, that every Syracuse fan is hoping can step in and step out because uh, a lot of those guys are gone after from a season ago after graduating. So uh, how will a dude like Terry Lockett fare? How, how will uh, a couple of those other of those players like Caleb Okachekwu fare? What about the safety play in Tony White's three three five defense? There's a rover. Who's the rover? Right. I'm going to focus on the defensive side and say. Like I said, Syracuse will beat Louisville if they stop the running game. Where Syracuse really struggled is not forcing a quarterback to throw. They have probably one of the best cornerback duos in the ACC and maybe the country behind many of the Blue Bloods that have recruited some of the best of the best. Louisville has one of the most potent running quarterbacks. Is Malik Cunningham, what, is he in his sixth year? At this point, I mean, my goodness, yeah. when, when is Cunningham going to let it go? But he might let it go on the third. He might really take off and running, knowing that this is his final season of eligibility. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if he has a seventh year, at this point, let me play. At this point, let me wear a Louisville helmet. I just think that you give enough yards up to Malik Cunningham that opens up his throwing game and not saying Louisville is the best in the passing game. They weren't a year ago. Don't think they've improved that much. They have a lot of young running backs. Jalen Mitchell's one of them. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's number one on their depth chart. So you have a young guy in Mitchell who I don't think is going to, to penetrate the, the linebackers and the, and the cornerbacks and the safeties as much. And in a Tony White scheme in a 3-3-5 that likes to keep the play in front of the safeties. They don't give up a lot of deep balls, but they're also prone to giving up a lot of big runs because they do bunch that uh, that line of scrimmage. So you get past a few guys and all of a sudden you're off and running and you can do whatever you want in the end zone, whether it be a celebration or you just uh, give a modest uh, ball spin. So 
I mean, as much as I want to say and agree with you that the offense has to be potent, I'm focusing more on the defense because they should be consistent. Tony White's been here for a while. The 3-3-5 should already be instilled. A lot of those 17 guys that are returning are on the defensive side in terms of the secondary and the linebacking crew. So Syracuse will beat Louisville if the Orange's defensive unit gives up fewer than 100 yards on the ground. And, and I truly believe that. In fact, and I don't want to give too much away, I might have a little bit of a hot take for topic number three. So let's head there now. Number three. Okay, topic number three here on Fizz 5. Carter, this is what everyone wants to know in this day and age. What are you betting? I mean, the line just came out from Syracuse and Louisville taking place on the third and the newly coined JMA Wireless Dome. And Louisville, they're road favorites, four-point favorites, while the Cuse are, of course, underdogs. And, and now Syracuse already looking at a hole, knowing that they lost to Louisville a season ago, knowing that Malik Cunningham is back. Question for you, are you taking that line? Which, which side of the line are you taking? Well, it doesn't surprise me that Syracuse is a home dog against Louisville. And the reason it doesn't is because of UL's recent history against the Orange. Now, I know the last time that SU beat Louisville was in the Dome. I'm well aware of that fact. But when you lose seven of eight to one team, including a couple in a row to Malik Cunningham, who pilots this Louisville offense and does it extremely well. I just don't think that I can take SU to uh, really to win the game and, and uh, yeah, and blow up that spread. I, I just don't, I, I just can't do it. You know, the, the Cardinals, the last three times they've played Syracuse have scored 56, 30 and 41 points. That last one was last year. They just, they being Syracuse, just has such a hard time stopping that kind of um, what is it that that sort of zone run stretch scheme that the Cardinals run. I just don't see Syracuse stopping that. So I think that that line is appropriate. And I'm a big like show me before I take something new. For example, so I'll take Louisville to cover that. Um, you know, but I think, you know, Syracuse has a roadmap to, 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 to reverse that trend. You go out there and you hold Cunningham in check and you use the dome's energy and you spring the upset, then prove me wrong. I mean, please do it because I can't watch much more of Louisville just boat race this team year after year after year, for whatever reason, for whatever it is, no matter how badly the Cardinals are playing, they just incinerate. Syracuse when they play for whatever reason it's got to be the scheme it's got to be a lot of talent on Malik Cunningham's end too but gosh I mean I can't in good faith take Syracuse in that bet I'm sorry here you go Carter here's your pseudo hot take and I'm glad that you took Louisville minus four Syracuse is not just going to cover the Cuse are going to win this game I have Syracuse taking down Louisville they're playing at home and I think that bodes well. And obviously, you're the home team. You have some sort of advantage with the crowd. 
So JMA Wireless Dome, I don't think that's going to make a difference, but I do think it'll be a packed house. Obviously, it won't be what it was against Clemson uh, a couple of years ago in 2019 when 50, 51,000 packed the dome because it's a Louisville team that's not even ranked. But it's a Syracuse team with a whole lot of hype behind it. Love Sean Tucker, of, of course. If you're a Syracuse fan, you don't love him, then you're not a Syracuse fan because he embodies what Syracuse is. Love what the offense has done in which they've changed their approach, but they're also allowing Garrett Schrader to be more relaxed. They're allowing him to do him. I think the offensive line is a whole lot better. Uh, Chris Bleich has gotten another year under his belt. Matthew Bergeron, the same. If Enrique Cruz can somehow get it in his head and, and find that mentality, that killer mentality to block off any DN, then I have a whole lot of confidence in Enrique Cruz on the offensive line as well. They have a whole lot of depth in the offensive line, which you couldn't have told me a couple of years ago, this team has been uh, has been rather belittled uh, on that offensive line. And you go to the defensive side, your cornerbacks are stout, your linebackers are the same. All you have to worry about is the defensive line and the safeties, and you just need someone to show out. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, Chase Simmons. Chase Simmons is a player that can really take hold of that defensive line. I know Jason Simmons plays further back. He's a safety, but Chase Simmons, he can really take control of that defensive line. I think Lockett can do the same. I've been told by many people that Terry Lockett is really impressed uh, in summer ball and, and his ability, obviously, against his teammates and in, in, these, in these little practices that they've had. So I like the defense. I love the offense. I think C.J. Hayes could be the next coming of Tristan Jackson if Garrett Schrader locates him more. Damian Alford can be your deep ball threat. Robert and I and Jason Beck are there to, to mobilize the offense with not just the weaponry that they need, but also the technique and the tactics. I like Syracuse in this one. I'm not really looking at Louisville that much because if Syracuse was on the road, I would take Louisville. I bet my house on Louisville. But I have confidence in the Dome and that they're rocking on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock. How does that sound? Well, you're consistent because you've said before that you like Syracuse in this game, and it was months ago. So right. I, I applaud you for your, uh, your willingness to believe in, uh, in Dino and company. Why not? I, I mean, hey, at this point, if, if Dino doesn't make a bowl game, if Syracuse doesn't make a bowl game, Dino and the coaching staff, they're gone. So they, they might as well win this game. And I think they could start the season 5-0. and Of course, that's, that's a huge statement, but we'll get there when the time comes. I think they take it over Louisville. I have Syracuse by a touchdown. I really do think that this team is more talented than, than maybe other people think. Okay, let's head over to topic number four. And get this, it's about football again. It's head there. Number four. We move on to topic number four, and this one hits close to home with our website, orangefizz.net. If you haven't checked it out already, please go do so because our staff has been working tirelessly to compile the top 10 most important players for Syracuse football in the 2022 season. And I think we got a pretty good list so far. How far are we into it right now? I haven't checked as of late. We've just finished number five. It's what I thought. I just didn't want to speak in absolute. So I'm glad that my um, my guess or my possible guess, I didn't spread it out, 
was right. So we just wrapped up number five. So we've gone five through 10. We still need the top four. And no, if you think that you're coming to Fizz 5 to, to get the early reveal of the top four, you're completely wrong and you're mistaken. But Carter, I want to get your first inkling on what you think about the list so far, because although we worked tirelessly to put that list together, it is an average between the seven of us fizz writers. So it's not your complete list. It's just kind of averaged up. So five through 10, what is it looking like? And, uh, and what are your first thoughts? Yeah. So, so first of all, it's worth just going over who the guys on the list already that have been written about are number 10 was Courtney Jackson. Number nine was Marlo wax. Number eight, Chris Elmore, Deuce Chestnut at seven. Matthew Bergeron at six and Damian Alford at five. So there's your, there's your 10 through five. You know, I, I like the list so far. I, I agree with most of it, but I do have two little tweaks that I would introduce. The first of them is that I don't think Damian Alford should be five. I think that he is a little bit high for a guy who had 13 touches last year. I know that he's got a lot of potential and his skill set is one that Syracuse really needs in its offense as kind of your bigger deep threat kind of guy. I know CJ Hayes fits that criteria, but he hasn't caught a collegiate pass in three years. So Alford is an important team, important player on this team. I think that I would put him probably at 10, move everybody else between 10 and five up. You know, I think that he's kind of down there on that list. And my other change, feel free to disagree with this as well, is that I think that Stefan Thompson deserved to be on here. And I think the guy would kick off and put it number 11, you know, no disrespect because I think he is an important player, maybe just not top 10, maybe top dozen is Chris Elmore. I agree. I, I, I think that Chris Elmore at number eight is pretty generous, especially for a guy who missed most of last year with injury he doesn't really like contribute on the offensive end in terms of yardage he's a he's a good blocker and he's your consummate fullback tight end h-back kind of guy i don't know if he should be above courtney jackson and marlo wax on the list i i, I would slot elmore in at 11 and i would put stefan thompson even at number eight because Thompson's your second leading tackler from last year. He's now returning. And if you knock Cody Roscoe off the top of the sack list from last year, he's now gone. Stefan Thompson is your second leading sacker who's coming back. And he led the team in forced fumbles with a pair. So I think Thompson is an awfully important player for this team. I know, you know, Marlo Wax is on this list as well. And undoubtedly, Michael Jones is on this list as well. We're just not going to tell you where. So you got your whole linebacking core on there. I don't think that Thompson should have been the lone man left out. I think if you swap, you know, Thompson from the number 11 spot or whatever with Elmore at number eight, that would have, that would have been my, uh, my change. So to add to it, I completely agree with you. I think it's a bit egregious that Chris Elmore is on the list. I, I think why, Maybe some of us put Chris Elmore in the top 10 is the name, the experience, the leadership factor, the locker room presence, how we can hype up the crowd, almost like a deuce chestnut who landed at number seven. 
Yeah, I think it's egregious to leave Stephon Thompson off the list. Even putting Courtney Jackson at number 10, Damien Alford at number five, what you're telling me in terms of importance is, well, it doesn't matter if Garrett Schrader is any wide receivers. I know Derek, I know that Damian Alford's at five, but you're not going to put CJ Hayes on the list. And I think I would put him nine or 10 with Courtney Jackson because if Garrett Schrader has no one to throw the ball to, well, it's a replication of what happened last season when he literally had no one to throw the ball to toward the end of the season. Syracuse was the Green Bay Packers without Aaron Rodgers at one point. They didn't have a guy like Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez Scantling, but Carter, you tell me one player, one receiver on the Green Bay Packers right now. You can't. That's exactly what Syracuse embodies. Doesn't mean that those receivers are less important. I tried to I, I tried to relate it to the pro game because I think a lot of people look at the pro game and try to emulate how it compares to the college game or whatever. But what I'm saying is I just think it's ridiculous that you have Damian Alford at five and then everyone's dropped off. You're right. A guy that had 13 touches, he could have 50 catches. There's a chance that he because he's the leading guy on this team. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. And he is the only guy – when you put him at number five and Courtney Jackson barely makes the list, all of a sudden you're saying, well, Damian Alford has to be Tristan Jackson or this Syracuse team is screwed in the air. And we talked about it earlier in this Fizz Five. Robert and I's offense is an air raid offense. <laughs> you need some receivers to, to go along with that. And yeah, let's bring it back to Chris Elmore. I agree. I just don't think he should be top 10. I know most important is almost like how people view the MVP where it's like, is it the best or is it most valuable? I think by importance, Stefan Thompson has to be there. Marla Wax has to be much higher. I, I think it's ridiculous that he, he is that low, especially because Deuce Chestnut could have a sophomore slump. I don't know if a linebacker or if a cornerback is more important than a linebacker when Syracuse struggles to stop the run, or at least they did a year ago. So, yeah, th those would be my uh, little changes. I'd put Hayes in there, I'd move, I'd put Thompson in there kick out Elmore and maybe move Damian Alford a little bit down or even off the list. But I need a couple receivers at eight, nine, and 10. I wouldn't put someone at five. I don't think that any of these receivers are number five, most important worthy. I think they could be surprises. So yeah, those would be my little tweaks, but I agree with you. Okay. Let's head to topic number five. Number five. We're going to wrap things up with Sean Tucker. Who else? Preseason All-American nod just a couple of days ago. Carter, do you think he'll exceed expectations, underachieve those expectations, or match them this season? I think Tucker, compared to his last season with 1,496 yards and all the touchdowns, will slightly underachieve statistically, which I think he is bound to do, but at the same time, somehow still match expectations. I try to explain to you what I mean by that. So if Tucker, let's say he runs for 1,200 yards on, you know, four or five yards per carry, double-digit touchdowns. For all intents and purposes, a little bit of a step back statistically from nearly 1,500 yards and six yards a carry. But if he does it in an offense that throws the football more comfortably, scores more points, and maybe gets Syracuse to a bowl – it takes some pressure off his shoulders. He's no longer a one-man band on offense. And you very well could hear coaches at the end of the year saying, hey, Sean had just as good a season this year as he did last. He just didn't have to carry the whole load. 
And when that happens, that means that he maybe loses that extra carry that last year he busts for an extra 30, 40 yards, you know, in a game that ends up not really mattering. So we may talk about Tucker as a guy whose numbers went down a little bit, but just had just as good of a season he did last year. But you may see a dip on the stat sheet just because he's not that one guy show on offense anymore. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I know we might be coming up on time, but last season in the final three games in which Syracuse was vying for that bowl spot and they were unable to get it. Sean Tucker had 20, had under 20 carries in all three. That's going to be more of Sean Tucker's role this season with the air raid offense. He had uh, 255 yards on 20 receptions who wasn't known for that, you know, dump off guy and check downs and everything. I think this season he'll have more all purpose yards, but not as many rushing yards. So I agree with you. I think that he'll actually, I'm going to agree with you saying that he'll be more of a presence in the throwing game, but I actually think he will either match or exceed expectations because his all purpose yards will heighten. So I'm going to say Sean Tucker, that preseason All-American nod, really, really deserving of it. And I just think that he's going to grow as a pass catcher a little more than uh, he was a runner from a season ago. That's going to wrap things up here on Fizz 5. For Carter Bainbridge, I'm Cameron Uzair. We say so long. And also check out our website, orangefizz.net, to read all the articles that we put out and make sure to continue listening to these Fizz 5s. And with the football season close to underway, we're going to have articles and more of these podcasts out about this football team. And we're going to keep talking about basketball and whatever sports that Syracuse presents under the sun. But we can't wait for football season again. September 3rd, Syracuse against Louisville, 8 o'clock game on a Saturday. That's a primetime game between these two ACC foes. And we can't wait to check it out. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and talking about the top five topics in the Syracuse sports stratosphere. We'll catch you next week. And that's your Fizz Five. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.